we, uh, part of our tuition was a computer. And uh, it, it was a gateway computer. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of a gateway computer. They no longer exist. 2007, they were bought by Acer. Acer now owns Gateway. Um, but this thing was like four inches thick and uh, weighed about 20 pounds. And I think it probably had about 50 gigs total, like storage. And I think its memory was like two to four gigabytes of, of memory there. So that was this computer that we were given uh, by our school as part of our tuition. And I, I don't mean to knock the school. I mean, at, at that time, it was like, well, it was pretty low. It was, it was pretty bottom of the barrel still. <laughs> but hey, it's what we got, right? So I remember at, at one point in time, and it wasn't too long after we received them, uh, Amanda's laptop that she had just stopped working if it wasn't connected to the power cable. And some of you have had computers like that at times in your life. And it got so bad that at times, like, she would have it set up just right when we were down in the calf and, and studying together. And, like, I couldn't breathe funny or else that cable would twitch and the, the whole computer would shut down. And as she was working on her thesis especially, she was like, you can't even sit at my table right now because if you sit down, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just turn off and I'll lose everything. It was pretty jankety. But if you had it just right and it was connected to the power cable, then the computer would stay on, Right? But as soon as you pulled it out, it didn't matter how long it was connected to the power cable. As soon as you tried to make it work without the power cable connected, it would not do anything. It was a blank screen. You could push all the buttons you wanted to. It didn't help because it needed to be connected to the power source, right? Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be connected to our power source in our Christian walks as brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, this mini-series that we're in right now is called Jesus is Amazing. And tonight I want us to look at, from John chapter 15, how Jesus is that source. Jesus is that power source. Jesus is, the, as he calls himself here, the vine, to cross over into a different metaphor there, that we as the branches need to be connected to if we hope to have any sort of substance, vitality, power, uh, enjoyment, vibrancy to our lives as Christians. And so if you're not there, grab your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 11. And that's the passage that we're going to unpack together uh, tonight. Jesus here in John chapter 15 is in the midst of the upper room discourse. The upper room discourse is what Jesus was uh, doing. It's the, the, the final teaching time that he had with his disciples before they left and went out to the garden of Gethsemane there where Judas would come and betray him over to the, the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders and Jesus would eventually go and be crucified. So this is some of the last interaction that Jesus has with his disciples before the cross. And so we pick up in John 15, 1, and Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear, or that does bear fruit, rather, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. We are the branches that are grafted into, that are connected to, that abide. It's a a Greek word, meno, that means to remain, to stay, to dwell. And we are to abide in the vine of Jesus Christ. And we can think of that in the, the kind of peripheral attachment idea of if you see a tree and it's got a branch that's connected to the trunk and yet it's its its own separate thing that's kind of out to the side there. Or we can think about it the way that I think that Jesus was really after here, and that is that we have been placed into Jesus. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says as much. In Romans chapter 6, he says this. He starts out in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, to persist in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it, in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That word baptized there, baptizo in the Greek means to be immersed, to be placed into. That you and I as believers were placed into Jesus. Paul in Colossians 3 says our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are immersed, we are placed into, we have refuge in Christ. His righteousness covers us now as his followers. And so when we go back to John chapter 15 and Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me. He's talking about that idea of of abiding in him. That we're not just this thing that's stuck onto the outside, but not really part of the actual organism. No, but we are part and parcel of Christ. We have been placed into Christ. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's interesting. I think there's a lot said here by what Jesus doesn't say, isn't there? He doesn't say the church is the true vine. None of us would say that the church is unimportant, right? In fact, we know from Acts chapter 20, Jesus says that he shed his blood for the church, that the church is the bride of Christ. But when we are looking for life as followers of Jesus, we need to look to the vine, right? And not mistake the vine for something else. And he doesn't say, you know, the church is the vine. So if you are connected to the church, then that's That's good enough. He also doesn't say the word, the Bible is the vine. And I don't want to separate Christ from the Bible because Christ embodies the word of God. The word of God is all about Jesus, right? Yet at the same time, if you are looking for life in Christ by simply being around the Bible, reading the Bible, internalizing the Bible, then you're not going to have the life in Christ that Jesus is talking about here. Is the Bible important to us? Absolutely, 100%. Can we set the Bible aside and say, I don't really need that? Not at all. We absolutely need the Bible. But the Bible's not the vine. Jesus is the vine. What else doesn't he say? Well, building off that, he doesn't say the doctrine and theology are the vine. We talked about that a little bit last week. But just to reinforce that, Jesus is saying, he's, he's not saying here, you know what? Knowing about God, knowing about Jesus is the vine. So abide in your systematic theology. He's not saying that, right? Is that good to know about God and to know about Jesus? Yes, absolutely we need to know about God and know about Jesus. 
We should apply ourselves and devote our life to that pursuit. But that's not where our life is found in Christ. That's not where our joy is found in Christ. That's not where our source of vibrancy and vitality is found in Christ. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? The family is the true vine. You know what? Your family is the true vine. Abide in your family. Make it all about your family. Does God value the family? Yeah, absolutely he does. Is it important to have a good, strong, godly family if that's at all within your power? Yeah, absolutely it is. But is that where your source of life comes from in Christ? Is that where your vitality comes from in Christ? Is that where your, your, your vibrancy as a believer comes from because you've got a good, godly family? No. And for some of you, that's good news because you don't have a good, godly family at home. Right? He also doesn't say that morality is the vine. He doesn't say that being a good person is the vine. That's where your life is. That's where your vitality is. That's where your spiritual vibrancy is in, is in being a good person. Again, something that is important to us, yes? We want to, to be people who are, are obedient to God, right? But that's not where our life comes from. That's a response to where our life comes from. So it's not in morality. And it's also not, notice he doesn't say it's, it's not a cause. Find a cause to get behind and champion, and that is the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in your cause, and you will glorify the Father. He doesn't say that either, does he? See, we have to make sure that we get this right, that Jesus says, I am the vine. And that it's all about Christ, that that's where we anchor ourselves. That's our, our focal point. That is where we draw our life from as believers. And the Apostle Paul understood this. I think I referenced this last week. It's good enough to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers... He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. Now, let me back up for a second. Paul had the ability to do that. Paul was a smart guy. Remember, before he became Paul, he was Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee who studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the top tutors in the Pharisaical world. Paul was on the fast track to be one of the most intelligent, one of the most powerful Pharisees that would have been on the scene had God not intervened and saved him, right? So Paul could have come to the Corinthians with his lofty speech, with his deep theology, with his knowledge of the Hebrew language and his knowledge of the Torah and come to them with that. But he says, I didn't do that. Verse two, for I decided, notice the intentionality here from Paul. I decided, I determined, I willed to know nothing among you except who? Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided, I determined when I was coming to you Corinthians to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Well, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit was empowering me and of power. So that why, why Paul, why is this? so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Who's the power of God? Jesus. Paul's saying, look, I didn't come to you with my background, my education, my lofty wisdom, my eloquence, or anything else like that, because I didn't want your faith to be in Paul. 
I didn't want your faith to be in my system, my beliefs, my doctrine. I want your faith to be in Jesus. So he says, that's what I came to you with. Again, Jesus, y'all, is the vine. He is the source of life for us as the branches. And that relationship with Jesus that we talked about last week, it has to be there. For us to live out this Christian life and to have that vitality, that vibrancy, that power in our Christian life, we have to make sure that we have a connected and healthy and developing and growing relationship with the vine, who is Jesus. He is the source of everything for us as believers. First point tonight is this. Draw your life from Christ. Draw your life from Christ, from the vine. I am the vine, right? Just like Amanda's laptop in college, it had to be connected to the power outlet. And if it wasn't connected to the power outlet, it couldn't do anything. It needed that source. It needed that electricity constantly flowing through that cord and into the machine in order for the machine to do what it needed to do, so too for you and I as believers. We have got to remain connected to Jesus. We've got to abide in Jesus. And that is not about doctrine and theology and showing up and presence and memorizing. Some of that is an application, an overflow of this. No, this is about a relationship with Jesus. This is about a, a, a walk with Christ that is not definable by a checklist and a steps, a set of steps in a a, a book that you can read. We talked about that last week. No, this is about a, a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I want to ask you tonight, what gives life to your profession of faith? For you to say, well, I'm a Christian. My question to you is, what's the power behind that? What is it that's animating your faith? That's giving life to your identity as a believer in Jesus? What are you looking to there? What makes you feel alive spiritually? Maybe for some of you it is Bible reading. You say, man, when I get into the word, the the, the word just comes alive and I feel just a a sense of fullness and I feel a sense of just intimacy with God and I, I I love being in the Bible. Maybe for some of you that's worship music. We just sang these songs and I love singing these songs and I love praising the Lord with other people and I love being in the presence of other people who are singing and, and that's what really makes me feel alive spiritually. That, that's what brings life to my relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you would say, well, no, it's, it's prayer. That I have a, a dynamic prayer life, that I am at, on my knees at the, the drop of a hat, that constantly throughout the day I am coming before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need, that I just have a, a prayer life that's dynamic and that gives life to my relationship with Jesus. A different angle on this same question is what gets you excited about being a Christian? And I, I want you to think about this. Where does Jesus himself fall in that list of things that you're thinking about in your mind? Not the things about Jesus, not the the teachings of Jesus, not the things surrounded. No, where does your Savior fall in those things? Because here's the the, the cold, hard reality, y'all. Without Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus, none of those other things that we just listed and talked about have any power at all. Do y'all believe in the empty tomb? Yes or no? If you believe in the empty tomb, 
then it follows that you believe in a Savior who is living. Yes? And a lot of times, Jesus in our churches becomes a storybook character. He becomes the, the storybook character of the Bible. We read the Bible like a biography. We read the Bible like we read a book about Spurgeon or about Whitfield, about one of these others, Martin Luther or John Calvin or somebody like that. And we, we treat Jesus like that, that it's like he came and now he went and now we're trying to figure out this thing. Now what can we learn from him because he lived this life? But he's not like any of them, is he? Because you can go to every single one of their graves, yes? But you can't go to the grave of Jesus. If Jesus is alive, if Jesus is living, if the tomb is empty, then that would imply that for you to say that I am a follower of Jesus means that you are a follower of a dynamic, living, breathing being. Do you have a relationship with them? I can read all the books I want to about John Calvin. I can watch movies about John Calvin. I can study John Calvin until I'm blue in the face, but I don't have a relationship with John Calvin because John Calvin is in a box, dead. Well, he's with the Lord. But you guys get my point, right? <laughs> Jesus is living. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? If you do, it's because the power of your walk in Christ is derived from Jesus. See, trying to maintain a, a vibrant spiritual life through acts of obedience, it's like trying to say, you know what, I'm going to lose weight just by not eating anymore. I'm just going to stop eating. When I eat, I gain weight. So therefore, it's logical that if I just stop that, that I'll lose weight. See, the thing is, for a while, that'll work, yes? But not for long, will it? Because the damage that you will do to yourself is far greater than the benefit that might come by shedding a couple of pounds. Your body needs nutrients. It needs food. It needs the, the food that you take in in order to provide the fuel for your body to have energy to do what it needs to do. Y'all, when we try to maintain a relationship with God just by external acts of obedience, that's what we're doing. We're starving ourselves to death because there's no relationship there driving the external acts of obedience. Or maybe some of you, you say, you know what? I, I, I maintain my spiritual vitality through my emotions, I'm, I'm in tune with my feelings. And that's how I maintain my relationship with Jesus is when I feel good about where I'm at. I feel good about my relationship with Jesus. I feel good about what's going on. I feel good about my friends, about my family, about my job. I feel good about all of these things. And really what that's like trying to do is that's like trying to survive on a diet only of candy. Again, it's, it's pleasant for a little while, but that candy is ultimately gonna eat away at your teeth and your health and that sugar rush that you have, that immediate feeling of like, this is great. What happens? It, it fades away. And when it crashes, you're left going, what am I supposed to do now? Or some of you try to maintain your spiritual life through doctrine and theology. The more I know about Jesus, the more secure I am in my faith. But that's like studying to become a doctor and then going to work at McDonald's for the rest of your life, just flipping burgers. See the the content doesn't lead to the end, to its intended purpose. Jesus is the vine. He is our source of life. He is that power cable. He is what allows us to live like God is calling us to live, like God wants us to live. And that's what has to be in place. Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, and that's the key, guys. We need to make sure that we are in 
Christ, that that relationship is in place. And if it is, look what he continues to say. Every branch in me, verse 2, that does bear fruit, he prunes. Before this, he says, every branch that does not bear fruit. So if there's a branch that says, I'm in, I, I'm in Jesus, but there's no fruit. We're going to talk about this more in just a second. Jesus says that, that that branch is cut off. It's taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, what? Bear more fruit. Already, he says to the disciples, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. He repeats it. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a, a point in time, y'all, where I probably would have come to this passage and preached this as though it was all about the fruit police. And to be the fruit inspector. And to say, well, if you don't have enough fruit, you need to go bear more fruit. You need to go read your Bible more. You need to go pray more. You need to attend church more. You need to have accountability in your life. You need to attend small group. You need to, 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 you need to. And those may be an overflow and application of what some of those things are that, that we could do better in our lives. But again, the power is Christ. And Christ, if we are abiding in him, naturally the fruit is produced. I was thinking about it this way this week. Guys, when you think about fruit, I don't want you to think obedience. I want you to think life. Because here's the deal. Take a, a, an avocado tree, right? Do you think the avocado blossoms are sitting there panicked about whether or not they're going to actually turn into fruit? Do you think they're sitting there, if I can personify an avocado blossom, like trying to squeeze an avocado out of itself? No. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Or an apple tree? Or your favorite flower at home? Do you think it's like sitting there going, I need a bloom? Bah! No, it's not worried about that, is it? Why? Because that's what happens. Because it's connected to the life source, which is the vine, which is the branch, which is in the case of the tree, the, the tree itself. That it's connected to the life source. The life source is going to supply it with the nutrients that it needs to do what it's supposed to do, which is to bear fruit. See, Christians, we get so focused on, I don't have enough fruit, so I need to focus out here on the peripheral, on the fruit bearing, and not on the source of the fruit bearing, which is the relationship with Jesus, which has to be there. See, guys, our spiritual life in Christ, our spiritual vitality, our vibrancy, our identity as believers, it, it should come as naturally to us as that fruit does from the apple tree, from the avocado tree. It should just happen because we are connected to a healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Point number two tonight is this. Let a genuine love for Jesus transform your life. Let a genuine love for Jesus transform your life. Notice it's not, you know, let a more intensified uh, daily Bible reading program transform your life. Let a more intensified uh, accountability relationship transform your life. No, it's it's. Jesus that has to be in place. Then the transformation takes place. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 16 through 23. Galatians 5, 16 through 23, the apostle Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. We could say instead of works of the flesh, we could say the fruit of the flesh is evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, says Paul, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, there's our word fruit again, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. In other words, do that as much as you want because there's no law against it, right? Okay, so you've got these two lists here. You've got the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and if I can adjust the translation here, the, the fruit of the flesh for our purposes, right? Now think about those things that Paul describes here as the, the works of the fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Those that are living a life characterized by those things. Are they sitting back going, man, I don't have enough sexual immorality in my life. I need to focus on how I can get some more sexuality in my life. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity. I need to focus on where can I, where can I fill my life with some more impurity? What, what books can I read? What websites can I go to? What relationships can I get into that's going to increase this fruit of the flesh? In my, are they thinking that? No, why? It comes naturally, yes? Right? Or idolatry, right? An idol doesn't have to twist your arm to gain your affections. It just has them. It's easy for you to want something more than you want Jesus. It's easy for you to covet something more than you want a, a, a satisfied, content relationship with God. Right? You don't have to work that up within you. Or think about enmity, strife, jealousy. I'm sure you've all experienced those things in a relationship with somebody else. That a relationship has been broken by jealousy. A relationship has been broken by enmity, by hostility from one person to another. You're not sitting there going, man, I need to... I need to really gain more enmity, hostility, and strife in my life. Or fits of anger, right? Think about the last time you were on the road and somebody cut you off. Did you have to think to yourself, man, that anger was all right, but it could have been better. I didn't figure out how I can get angrier. No, you didn't do that. Why? Because sin comes naturally because it's part of the flesh, right? It's part of who we are, right? Well, now in Christ, you have been placed into Christ, right? So now we're bringing a lot together here in this point because in Christ, as Paul would later say, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, behold, the old is gone and what is now here? The new. That you and I are now new creations in Christ. We have a new identity. So as the works of the flesh naturally overflowed from what we were previously connected to, which was our own sinful desires and our own flesh, right? Now we are in Christ and now the fruit of the Spirit should naturally come just as naturally for us as did the works of the flesh. Do you see why when I, I hear fruit here, I, I don't think obedience, but I think life? Because if we think obedience, we get it wrong because we're focused out here on that, the, the, the ends of the branches. We're not focused on the, the root, the vine. The vine is key. The vine is where we draw that life from. And so as you think about that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, God's not wanting you to clench your fist and go, oh, I just need to be more peaceful. 
Oh, I need to love people more. I need to be more patient. That's not the answer. It's not to pull yourselves up by your spiritual bootstraps and try to do more. It's to say, well, if I'm not manifesting these things the way that I want to, maybe I need to get back to that relationship with Jesus. The answer, if you want to bear more fruit for Christ, it's not to focus on the fruit, it's to focus on Christ. It's to focus on that relationship with the living Savior. Back in John 15, Jesus makes it abundantly clear, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And so if there's a fruit problem, don't look to the branch to try to fix the fruit problem. Look to the vine. Look to Jesus, right? Figure out what the disconnect is. Maybe the disconnect is that there's some kind of sin that that you've got harbored in your life. And that sin, y'all, can be a barrier to your relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus wants you to confess that sin, to bring it to the light, to, to let go of that sin, to put that sin off, right? Because it, it, it hinders your relationship with him. See? That's why we battle sin. We don't battle sin to impress somebody. We don't battle sin to make ourselves more lovely to God. God loves you because of Jesus. But you battle sin because the relationship that you have with Jesus is hindered by sin. There's a disconnect there that can impact the way that you live your life. Maybe there's a disconnect there because what you've been looking for in your life for spiritual vitality are those other things that we talked about. You're thinking to yourself, I'm okay with God because I come to this church. I know the Bible. I know doctrine. I know theology because I read the Bible a lot. And so that's where I'm good with God because. But you've been starving the vine to focus on the fruit. Or maybe there's a disconnect because you're trying to manifest that fruit through that willpower as a sense of obligation and duty. You're thinking to yourself, well, I need to do this because this is what Christians do. So I need to, I need to be more godly. I need to be more loving. I need to be more, uh, more joyful. I need to be all these things. And, and I have to do, 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 do. And you're just weary. And you're exhausted. And you feel shame and guilt because you've come to realize what Jesus has told us, that the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it's connected to the vine. See, if you look at your life, y'all, and you say, well, where, where do I see this fruit showing up in my life? And it's, it's not there. Again, the answer is not to focus on the fruit, but to focus on the, the vine, the connection there. Because otherwise, you know what we're doing is, is we're walking through the vineyard and we're picking up the rotted, dead, decaying pieces of fruit on the ground. We're duct taping them to a dead branch and trying to throw it back at the tree and, and pass it off as something that's alive. My love for my wife, y'all, is naturally going to cause me to live in a way that makes her happy. It is. My relationship is going to drive my interaction with her. It's going to cause me to do things for her that are kind, to do things for her that are helpful, right? It's going to cause me to do things for her that she wants me to do for her. Now, if we have discord, if we get into an argument, the answer for me is not to say, well, let me go do a bunch of stuff that she wants me to do. And that's going to solve the problem. But you see, y'all, when we have a disconnect between us and God, that's what we first do, don't we? You think, man, if, if I'm going through some spiritual dryness, well, I need to go do some things that God wants me to do, and it's going to make him happy. If that doesn't work with my wife and I, that's not going to work with you and the Lord, right? 
But what I need to do is I need to examine my life and say, okay, where did, where did I go wrong? What do I need to go ask for her forgiveness for? Where do I need to go and mend the relationship there? What do I need to, to put off in that relationship? Maybe I've been doing something that really bothers her, that's really hurtful to her, and I need to stop doing that because it hurts her and impacts my relationship with her negatively. So I'm going to stop doing that. You see how addressing that, the, the problem in the relationship is, is a whole package here, right? Does it involve changing behavior? Yes, it does. But that's an overflow of my love for her. That's an overflow of my care and concern for her. That's an overflow of my desire to mend the relationship, to restore the relationship. So when you feel a sense of dryness between you and God, when you feel like things just aren't there, it's not necessarily just don't do this anymore. Stop doing this and do more of that. Will there need to be a change in behavior? Most likely, yes. But only as it's seen in that all-encompassing relationship with God. You're going to change your behavior because of your love for Jesus, because of your desire to mend that disconnected relationship there, because of your desire to, to draw nearer to him. That's why we focus on these peripheral things in our lives. Again, your pursuit of Jesus, that relationship, it's, it's a whole package pursuit. He is the vine. He's going to transform you. The vine is going to give life to you, and that life is going to transform you. That life is going to bear fruit. That life is going to change your behavior. But y'all, that's not where our focus is. Our focus is on Jesus so that that fruit bears itself naturally the way that those avocados pop on that tree, yes? Verse 7, Jesus keeps going, if you abide in me, See this focus here again, over and over in this passage. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Stay with me, Re remain in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Notice this statement, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and also prove to be my disciples and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. This final portion of our passage here tonight is Jesus describing the fullness of the Christian life, right? The, the joyfulness of life in Christ. And he's talking about abiding in him. And, and now he's getting into some of what that looks like, that the words of Jesus are going to abide in us. So is it important for us to be in the, the word of God? Yes, absolutely. We, we need to be in the word of God for sure. Why? Because this is the word of, of Jesus, right? It's the word of, of the one that we love. We want to hear from him. We want his words to abide in us. And so, yeah, we need, we need to be giving ourselves over to the scriptures and spending time in the Bible as an extension of what? Our relationship with Jesus. Not as a replacement for our relationship with Jesus. The word of God did not die on the cross for you. At least not this word. The word of God, the word become flesh. That word died on the cross for you. And so you, you invest yourself in the scriptures because the scriptures are his words written to you right? Prayer. When he says, ask anything in my name, if you abide in me and you'll receive it. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? 
Can we all admit that that's a crazy statement? Yes, right? And this is, again, not the name it, claim it. This is not the health, wealth, and prosperity. This is, well, I want a Ferrari. So, dear Jesus, I'm abiding in you. I pray that tomorrow morning there would be a Ferrari in my driveway. I don't even really want a Ferrari, right? So if I wake up and there's one there, I'm going to sell it and just give the money to the church or something, okay? You guys can hold me accountable to that. But what he's saying here is if, if we're abiding in Christ, what that's going to do is that's going to conform us to him. It's going to conform us to the will of God, such that our prayer life is going to be about God accomplishing his will in and through us. It's, it's going to be our love for him is going to be so vibrant that we're going to say, Jesus, I, just want, I want what you want in my life. And when we can get there with our prayer life, we can have an absolute guarantee that we're going to get anything that we ask for. Confidence, right? We can have confidence that we are in Christ because of our relationship with him, because we are abiding in him. Not because of, look at my resume. Not because of, look at all the things that I've done. Not because of, look at all the books that I've read. No, but because we are abiding in Christ. How about this one? Glorifying the Father. Right? That, that's why we exist, yes? Is to glorify the Father. How do I glorify the Father? Well, I, I bear fruit. How am I going to bear fruit? I abide in Christ. You want to glorify God, make sure that, that you've got a vibrant, good, strong, healthy relationship with Jesus. Because that's what's going to impact that. That's what's going to satisfy that. That's what's going to supply that. And then he gets to that final part there, right? In verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the part I love the most about this and that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time together. Our final point tonight is this. Let love for Jesus lead to joy in Jesus. Let love for Jesus lead to joy in Jesus. Again, this is the, the passage of our Savior here at the end, kind of describing what a joyful Christian life should really look like. And I don't know what your experience with Christianity has been, but let me tell you this. If your relationship with God in Jesus right now is lacking joy, if it's lacking that, that confidence, if it's lacking that experience of, of the love of our Savior, then again, there's a disconnect in your relationship with God. Right? There just is. There's something missing. See, the, the joy of Jesus, that my joy, he says, that my joy may be in you. The joy of Jesus is the sustaining satisfaction of knowing that you are abiding in the vine and bearing fruit. Maybe you've had a season in your life where you've experienced victory over sin that was just hard for you to overcome. And you experience that victory and all of a sudden it, it, it impacts so much more than just that one area of your life. You all of a sudden you feel like, man, I, I've just got a, a, a clearer understanding of things. I've got this clarity in my mind and thinking. I've got a happiness about me. I've got a, a satisfaction about my life and about Jesus. I've got a, a security, just feeling confident in my relationship with the Lord right now. I've got a gratefulness for what God is doing in my life, that he's transforming me, that he, through my relationship with Jesus, is causing this fruit to bubble up and bear up in me. And I've got this abiding joy. Y'all, that's what the Christian life is meant to be. 
That's what it's meant to be. That's how we should be as believers. Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. And so if Christianity is a drudgery for you, then you don't get it. If it's a, a beat down for you, then you don't get it. If you feel like, man, the church is a screwed up place, then, then you really don't get it. Right? Christianity, being a follower of Jesus is about being in this abiding relationship with the one who loved you so much that he died for you and died for your sins. That passage in Romans chapter eight, when Paul says, you know, who's gonna condemn us? Christ Jesus, is he gonna condemn us? No, 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 no. He's not gonna condemn us, why? Because he died for you. How's the one who died for your sins gonna turn around and be like, oh yeah, those sins that I bore the wrath of my father for against you? Yeah, dude, you're guilty still. Paul's like, he's not gonna do that. He died for you, right? Who's there, who's there to condemn? The, the father? The father's not gonna condemn you. Why? Because he's the one that gave Jesus to die on the cross for you. That, that reality should, should be so joyful for us, right? As Christians that, that we've got that connection to a living Savior. And he's grafted us into him so that now we can abide in Christ. And he wants to empower us to live this life of satisfied joy in Christ. Which, yes, is going to bear fruit and glorify the Father. I hope you don't hear me from last week or this week say that obedience and fruitfulness as a believer is not important. That's not it at all. It's absolutely important. But it comes from your relationship with Jesus. That's where it has to come from. If it doesn't overflow from your relationship with Jesus, if Jesus is not the vine, then none of that fruit matters in the end. Because it's just rotten fruit duct taped to a dead branch. You have to be in Jesus. See, it's, again, like that laptop that my wife had. When that cord got bumped or unplugged, there was, it was powerless. Couldn't do anything, right? We all, if we're trying to do this Christian life without the power of Christ empowering us to do it, we're just as powerless. You're not going to have this joy. You're not going to have this satisfaction. You're not going to have this contentment in the Lord. See, Jesus has to be there. He is the vine. He is the source. He is the power of your relationship with the Father. If he's not there, there's no, there's no hope there, right? But if he is there, man, that's, that changes everything. Absolutely everything. Because if you abide in Christ, the fruit will come and you will glorify the Father. and You will experience the joy of Christ as he gives it to you through that relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for that, thankful for that truth. Again, Lord, mindful that we're so tempted to look for our vine in other areas of our life and look for other things in our life to provide the, the power that only you can provide. And we ask for your forgiveness in that corporately, Lord. We just pray that you would pardon us in that, Lord. But we also just ask that you would uh, enliven and, and fuel our our love for you, our relationship with you, that we would think about the fact that you are a living savior and that as a living savior, we should have a dynamic relationship with you. That's not just about studying you, but it's about knowing you. It's about loving you. 
It's about caring about you, caring about the things that you care about, God, and loving you every single day of our lives, God. Increase that affection that we have for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.